Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dead America. Carolina Front, Book 3. Dead America, The First Week 3. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1. Day Zero, Plus Two Corporal Coleman sat behind the wheel of the idling transport truck. His ears rung from the shock of it, the breach, the crash, the death all around him. Blood trickled down his face from where his forehead had struck the steering wheel when he'd crashed into the infirmary. There was a growl and a moan, and Coleman snapped his head to the side, pressing himself against the driver's side door at the sight of a zombified Martinez still buckled into the passenger seat. Blood was congealing around his lips, his eyes dead and devoid of soul. The corporal swallowed hard, clenching his jaw as he drew his handgun. His heart pulsed in his ears, drowning out the moans and bangs of the corpses outside of the truck behind him. I'm sorry, Martinez, he whispered as he took aim. I wish it could have been different. He pulled the trigger, and his bullet tore through his partner's right eye. Blood splattered against the passenger window, and the zombie corporal slumped in his chair, finally at peace. Coleman muttered a quick prayer under his breath, and drew in a deep lungful of air, letting it out slowly to compose himself. Survival instinct kicked back in with a vengeance, and he looted his fallen friend for ammo and tested the accelerator at the same time. The truck was boned from the accident and barely revved, let alone moved. He raised his radio to his lips. Hey, Cap, do you copy? Terrell leapt up from his chair at the sound of Coleman's voice coming through the radio and grabbed his communicator, nearly fumbling it with hope. Holy shit, Coleman, y'all okay? I am. The corporal replied, Martinez turned and I had to put him down. Terrell grimaced, I'm sorry, man, that had to be tough. Just doing what needs to be done, Captain, Coleman said solemnly. Just doing what needs to be done. The captain nodded and then got back on track. So what's your status? Well, we slammed pretty hard into whatever this building is. The corporal replied, the cab is inside, and I'm surrounded by one, two, three, let's just call it more zombies than I want to deal with. How about the grunts in the back? Terrell asked, chewing his lips as he looked out the window. Hold that thought, Coleman said, as he turned and banged on the hatch that led from the cab to the back portion of the transport. Yo, you guys all right back there? He yelled, but there was no answer. He banged again and waited a moment, for either a reply or just groans. He cracked open the hatch and peered in, eyes widening at the sight of the back door of the transport having been ripped clean off. Half a dozen zombies feasted on two fatigue-wearing men, but they froze and shrieked when they noticed the corporal gaping at them. He slammed the hatch and secured it, 
wincing at the thump-thump of zombies smacking into the door to try to get at him. They're fucking dinner, Captain, Coleman replied. There was a moment of silence in which he envisioned Terrell maybe punching a wall, and then a click and crackle. You got any way out of there, man? The corporal looked to both sides of the cab that were crawling with zombies. He squinted out the passenger window where the roof of the infirmary was a bit caved in. I just might, Captain, give me a sec, he said, and popped the top hatch on the cab. He pushed up carefully, meeting a little resistance as debris from the roof fell aside for him. He looked around and realized that there was a crawl space in the top of the building that he could access, and sunlight peeking through a hole in the roof. He lifted his radio again. Pretty sure I can get to the roof. That's fan-fucking-tastic news, Coleman, Terrell replied with relief. If you can get up there, maybe you can give us a lay of the land. All we can tell from our vantage point is that there's a sea of death out there. The corporal nodded. On it, Cap. He fully climbed onto the roof of the transport cab and holstered his handgun as he got to his feet. He took his assault rifle and flipped it around, smashing the butt of it against the little hole in the roof. After a few hard strikes, more and more sunlight filtered through onto his face, eventually creating a hole big enough for him to climb through. He slung his rifle back over his shoulder and climbed up out of the attic, standing on the angled roof and looking around at the desolation below. All right, he croaked into his communicator. I'm on top, and it looks like your vantage point was pretty accurate. There ain't nothing good going on here. He walked carefully across the roof, taking it all in. Fort Bragg was in chaos. Blood-stained zombies in army fatigues staggered out of the barracks, clearly freshly undead. The front gate hung wide open, a flood of zombies still wandering inside to try to get in on the party. The yard was dotted with clusters of creatures, feasting on the soldiers that weren't able to make it to shelter in time. He turned when out of the corner of his eye, he caught sight of a flashing light coming from a nearby building surrounded by zombies. I might have something here, he reported, and then walked to the other edge of the roof for a better view. He squinted and realized that it was a soldier in the window, turning a flashlight on and off rapidly. Looks like we got one barracks that wasn't breached, he said and waved. Any idea how many? Terrell asked. The soldier waved back as Coleman took out his own flashlight and used Morse code to ask the captain's question. The reply came and the corporal relayed it slowly as he translated into the radio. They have 35 troops inside, he said, but are limited with their ammo situation. Terrell sighed back. Ain't that par for the fucking course today, he replied. All right, Coleman, hang tight. I'll just be up here soaking up some rays, the corporal replied, and lowered himself to the roof, leaning back and curling his hands behind his head. Terrell strode into Wagner's office, the man still shell-shocked in the corner. Colonel Wagner, the captain said loudly, we have some good news. One of the barracks wasn't breached. There are 35 survivors. The colonel's head snapped up, his eyes puffy and red. He swallowed hard and got to his feet, smoothing his uniform down with trembling hands. All right, I'm sorry, he stammered, and then took a deep breath, blinking rapidly and clenching his fists. He cleared his throat. 
Let's figure out a way to get those boys to safety. I don't have a solution yet, but I think I have a way for us to find one. Lynch piped up from his desk and motioned to the far counter housing a large drone. I like the idea, Wagner replied. But how the hell are we going to launch that thing? Don't you need a flat surface? I doubt those creatures are going to let us waltz outside. Terrell cocked his head, inspecting one of the windows. How far away from the building do you need to be? He asked. Four, maybe five feet? Lynch said. I can get up enough speed on it and launch away from the building. Should limit the potential of a crash. The captain nodded. Y'all got a folding table? Should be one in the storeroom, Lynch replied with a nod and scurried off to look. Terrell shoved one of the large floor desks against the wall beneath one of the windows. He climbed up and opened the sliding window from its top clip, high enough that the zombies outside couldn't reach him. He propped it open, and Lynch re-entered with the table. Now what? he asked. Terrell held out his hands. Give it to me and put your drone on the end of it, he instructed, and the corporal nodded his understanding. He handed over the table and powered up the drone before setting it gently on the end of the table. Terrell rested the plastic on his shoulder and gently extended it out the window. Lynch stared up at the captain in awe. You can launch it any time now, Corporal, Terrell urged, and Lynch blushed when he realized he'd been gawking. Sorry, sir, here we go, he replied and turned to the monitor. He used a joystick and triggers to lift off and once it was clear, Terrell pulled the table back in and hopped down to the floor to huddle around the monitor with Wagner. Lynch flew high so they could get a complete look of the base, the ground blotted completely out of view by the horde. There were two intact buildings, and Terrell raised his radio to his mouth. Hey, Coleman, he said. Which building had the survivors in it? Northwest of my current position, he replied and they saw him wave up at the drone from his relaxed position on the infirmary roof. 10-4, Terrell replied, and pointed to the other building on the monitor. Move the drone over to that one. Lynch complied, and the building came closer into view, about 20 feet below. He focused the camera to see several troops in the window waving at them. Do we have any way of signaling them? Terrell asked. The corporal shook his head. Negative. Well, let's assume they have as many in there as the other barracks, the captain mused. So that brings us up to what, 70 we need to evacuate? Let me see what's at our disposal, Lynch said, and moved the drone over to the helipad. There were a few transport trucks sitting there. What do you think, can we fit 70 in there? Terrell grinned. Hope you boys don't mind getting cozy with each other. That's great and all, Wagner piped up. But how the hell are we getting over there? Do me a favor and point the camera down towards the ground as you bring it back this way, the captain instructed. As the corporal moved his controls to accommodate the request, it appeared that about a third of the zombies were actively pursuing the drone. What kind of range do you have on that thing? Terrell asked. Lynch tilted his head back and forth. About 500 yards, but I only have about 10 more minutes of flight time, he replied. As he spoke, the zombies seemed to lose interest in the buzzing machine and wandered off in search of a living meal. We're going to need something louder if we're going to clear the camp, Terrell muttered. Lynch pursed his lips. If we had a helicopter pilot, there's one over by the maintenance hangar. It's no good. The guidance system is busted and won't be in until next week, Wagner replied. 
He paused at the questioning stares from his comrades and then sighed. Granted, that may be pushed back a bit. Can it be flown without a guidance system? Terrell asked. Wagner shrugged. You're not gonna know where you're going. That works out since we don't have a destination, the captain replied. Anything else wrong with it? That's the main thing, although I can't promise there's going to be much gas in there, the colonel warned. So we won't know where we're going or how far we can get, Terrell said, rolling his eyes with a ghost of a smile on his face. But other than that, we're good? Wagner returned his smile. Yep. Peachy, the captain quipped and lifted his radio to his mouth. Hey, Coleman, you still remember how to fly? Chapter Two It's been a few years, but I'm pretty sure I can get us airborne, Coleman said into his radio, groaning as he sat up from his comfortable lying position. Where's the bird at? Outside the maintenance hangar, about a hundred yards northwest of your current position, Terrell's voice came back. The corporal looked out towards the hangar, raising an eyebrow at the hundred or so zombies between it and him. Hey, Captain, I'm not one to poke holes in your plan, but I think I see a slight flaw in it. You ain't underestimating me there, are you, Coleman? Terrell asked, amusement laced in his tone. The corporal shook his head with an exasperated smile. Well, Cap, from where I'm sitting, it's gonna take a hell of a magic trick on your part to make these fuckers disappear. The drone buzzed up to him and seemed to taunt him in the air. You just sit back and prepare to be amazed by Terrell the Magnificent, the captain bellowed through the radio. Coleman deadpanned at the little camera on the drone. If you're banking on me being your assistant, just know right now that I don't look good in sequence. That's easily the most disturbing image my mind is going to see all week, Terrell replied. And that's saying something. The corporal chuckled. Just doing my part, Cap. He watched the drone fly by him and held his middle finger out directly into the camera as it went. The drone lowered down to about eight feet above ground level, and several of the zombies screeched at the noise. It moved away, causing most of them to follow it towards the maintenance hangar. When it reached the vicinity of the hangar, it cut towards the front gate to try to draw as many as possible away from the helicopter. That was impressive, Captain, Coleman admitted, but there are still about 20 in my way. Terrell chewed his lip for a moment, watching the monitor showing the drone's camera feed. Hang tight and get ready to run, he finally said into his radio. And for the love of God, don't take off without me. Wouldn't dream of it, Cap, Coleman replied. Terrell leaned over Lynch, squinting at the screen. When you get to the street, see if you can find a high-end car. The ritzier, the better. The corporal raised an eyebrow. Sports car? Sedan? SUV? Doesn't matter, the captain replied. Just as long as it looks expensive. Lynch flew the drone to the front gate, a throng of zombies in tow. It ducked out into the street, and he turned right and left in his search finally fixating on a cherry red sports car. Got one, he confirmed. What do you want me to do? Smack the drone into it as hard as you can, Terrell replied. Lynch gaped. If I do that, it might destroy it, he warned. Were you planning on taking it with you to the rally point? The captain asked. The corporal looked to Wagner and back. Um, no? Then crash it into the car, Terrell insisted, and Lynch shrugged. He hovered the drone above the car and then executed a perfect nosedive 
straight into the hood of it. The force of the impact set off the car alarm, loud bleating echoing throughout the base. Most of the remaining zombies perked up at the noise, screeching and rushing to the gate. On the move, Captain, Coleman's voice rang through. Terrell nodded. Right behind you, Coleman. The corporal ran to the edge of the roof and turned around, dropping down to hang from his hands. He swung towards the wall and sprung off it on the way down, landing lightly on his feet and taking off running as soon as he did so. A straggling zombie took notice of him as he bolted for the hangar and took off running towards him like a free safety chasing down a receiver. Just before they were about to cross paths, Coleman stutter-stepped, stopping just short of the zombie's path, shoving it in the back as it flew past him. The ghoul stumbled and fell face-first into the dirt as the corporal continued his sprint, putting significant distance between them. A few other zombies nearby took notice of the fleeing man and took off after him, but he made it to the chopper and hopped inside. He slammed the door just in time for rotting flesh to slap against the outside. He flipped the engine on and peered out to see Terrell running at full speed about 50 yards away, a few zombies of his own chasing him. As he got closer, Terrell let out a scream, and the three zombies assaulting the helicopter came running for him. Just before they reached his bolting form, he leapt into the air and executed a stunning flying knee into the lead zombie's chest, sending it toppling back into its brethren. The captain stumbled, but righted himself just fast enough to fling his way up into the chopper and slam the door. Good to see you, Captain, Coleman said, as casual as if he were discussing the weather. Terrell nodded, chest heaving as he raised his hand and whipped it in tight circles. Likewise, now let's get this bird in the air. Yes, sir, Coleman replied emphatically and flipped a few more switches. Hey, Cap, he said, furrowing his brow. We seem to be missing the guidance system. Terrell pointed straight up. We're going that way. The corporal shook his head and chuckled before taking off. One of the zombies managed to hold fast to the side of the chopper, but fell from about 15 feet in the air, crashing into its buddies like a bowling ball into a set of pins. Stay as low as you safely can and try to attract as many of those things as possible, Terrell instructed. Lead them out the gate. Coleman nodded and maneuvered the chopper around the camp, about 20 feet above the ground. The low flying drew the attention of every single zombie, despite the car alarm, and they staggered after the helicopter right out of the gate. Captain Graham? Wagner came through Terrell's radio. Looks like the coast is clear. We're gonna move. I gotcha, Colonel, the captain replied, and slid open his door, assault rifle at the ready. If any of them head back your way, I got a distraction ready. Do you have the coordinates of the rendezvous? Wagner asked. Negative, Terrell said. We're pulling in the opposite direction. Don't know how relentless these things are. Doesn't do much good to clear a path if we lead them right back to y'all. There was a moment of silence before Wagner clicked back. Understood. If you can, head to the coast and send a message on emergency channel four. I'll do everything I can to arrange a pickup. Thank you, Colonel. Terrell said sincerely, and good luck. You as well, Captain. The soldiers in the bird kept a close eye on the base as the men exited the buildings and headed towards the transports. 
several sporadic shots rang out as they took out the few zombie stragglers left inside. A few of the horde hanging out by the front gate turned, and Terrell hit the ground on his side of them, refocusing their attention on the chopper. The men piled into the transports, but as soon as they fired up the engines, several of the hordes startled and turned back to the base. Kill the engines, Terrell screamed into his radio, and the trucks went silent once again. Sit tight for five minutes and let us draw them away from the gate. Ten-four, Wagner replied. All right, Pied Piper, lead them away, Terrell said to Coleman, who eased the helicopter down the road, making sure not to get too far away from the horde. After a few minutes of inching away, there wasn't a zombie within 500 yards of the front gate. Terrell hung out the door, watching from his vantage point as the transports exited the base and headed safely in the other direction. They're clear, he said, and got back into his seat, shutting the door. Coleman nodded in relief. So where to now, Cap? As if on cue, the gaslight began blinking, signifying low fuel. I'm guessing somewhere nearby? Terrell couldn't help but laugh. The corporal nodded. Head west? As good a direction as any, the captain replied with a shrug. Coleman rose the chopper several hundred feet in the air and sped up, leaving the horde in the dust to head west. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 3 Man, I can't believe we pulled this shit off. Corporal Freeman crossed his arms as he stared down at the infield. There was a tent city being erected there, a few children nearby playing a game of football in the end zone. Gardner nodded, stepping up beside his comrade. You ain't kidding, brother, he agreed. I can't think of another time it was anywhere close to that level of foobar. He watched personnel ripping the seats out of the lower level of the stadium to make room for greenhouses. Maybe that mission we ran a few years back on the Afghan-Iran border? Webb piped up from his relaxed seat at the dining table, feet up as he munched happily on a stick of pepperoni. Whoa now, we have a civilian in our midst, Freeman said, 
as he whipped around from the massive window of the club-level box they were in. Pretty sure that mission was classified, soldier. Marie barked a laugh. Let me guess, Freeman embarrassed himself and doesn't want the story told? Yes, Frank, Webb, and Gardner replied in unison, and Freeman threw his hands up before flopping down into his chair and shoveling beans into his mouth. He scowled at Marie's expectant expression and then sighed. All right, fine, tell the story if you want, he muttered. But if you get court-martialed, don't come crying to me. Webb grinned. You want to tell this one or should I? he asked. You're the one who got the eyeful, Gardner replied with a regal bow. I think you've earned the honors. So, without going into all of the boring details, we'd been tracking this warlord for a couple of weeks, Webb began, lowering his feet, to lean forward as Freeman continued to busy himself with scarfing down his bowl of beans. He had been giving our boys up north a hell of a time, and command wanted us to bring him in for a chat. So we ended up in this little shithole of a town. Maybe a thousand people lived in this place. We were split up into three groups, keeping watch on a few locations we thought he would pop up. Freeman and I were in this small metal shack that I'm pretty sure was used to slaughter goats because that smell was overwhelming. Well, about four hours into this stakeout, Freeman's stomach starts making noises like a cat puking up a dying rodent. The offending corporal raised his spoon in protest. Now, now, in my defense, Afghan food can be hard on some people's digestive system, Freeman said, and Frank snorted. Especially when said Afghan food is purchased from an unrefrigerated bucket attached to a 1980s Schwinn, Gardner added. Anyway, Webb continued, it gets to the point where he can't handle it anymore, so he takes a break from the line to find a restroom, which in this case was a metal bucket hidden behind a dangling piece of sheet metal. Let me tell you, if you think slaughtered goat smells bad, then you've never smelled recycled, spoiled Afghan food. Freeman wrinkled his nose. Oh, come on, it wasn't that bad, he pouted. Dude, the stench was so bad it alerted the guards across the street, Webb shot back. Marie burst out laughing, her shocked guffaws setting off Gardner and Frank as well. So here I am, trying to aim my weapon while fighting off dry heaves, when one of them hears Freeman doing his business and opens fire, Webb continued. Next thing I know, we're in full-blown firefight. Bullets are flying, ricocheting off every surface in the building. As I'm hunkered down, I turn and see Freeman crawling across the dirt floor, pants still around his ankles. And the only thought in my head was, I'm gonna win a lot of bets in the afterlife when we talk about the worst last sights a person had. Freeman simply continued to eat as the rest of the table laughed uncontrollably, ignoring the ribbing from his companion. So, Marie gasped for air as she struggled to catch her breath. How did y'all get out of it? Thankfully, the other two teams heard the fire and converged on our position, Webb replied. The warlord had about 40 bodyguards, so there were targets everywhere. Once their attention was spread out, we were able to return fire. I made the mistake of glancing over at Freeman, seeing him on his knees firing his weapon while his ass illuminated with every muzzle flash. I've never openly prayed for death, but damned if it wasn't a close call there. I can see why you compared that mission to this one, Marie agreed. Horror all around. Gardner raised an eyebrow. Well, horrific, there was that one incredible moment. You remember Reyes off the top rope? That was one of the most surreal things I've ever witnessed in person. Webb agreed, a wistfulness to his voice. Marie furrowed her brow. Top rope? 
so we had orders to take this asshole alive, Gardner replied. During the firefight, we saw a bodyguard escorting him out of the back of this little restaurant. We couldn't risk taking a shot at him, so Reyes broke cover, climbed on top of the neighboring building, ran to the back, and went full luchador. He jumped off and landed on top of the two of them. Before the rest of his bodyguards knew what had happened, he had the target in the back of the car and on his way out of town. Craziest thing I ever saw. There was a quiet ripple of laughter, but the team sobered up quickly at the cold reminder that their teammate was gone. Webb raised his glass. To Reyes. And Owens, Gardner added, lifting his own glass. Freeman nodded and extended his own. And Cole. Everyone else followed suit, and they all took a sip for their fallen friends as Bill Huff walked into the club box. I'm sorry, he paused. Am I interrupting? No, you're good, Bill. Come on in, Frank said, shuffling over and offering him a seat. We're just relaxing and shooting the shit. He nodded his thanks and approached the table. Well, if anybody has earned it, you guys have. Him? Marie grunted playfully. Bill inclined his head to her, putting up a hand. My apologies, guys, and girl who could whip the hell out of these guys. She preened. That's better. So how's our new home looking? Frank asked. We're a little over our target capacity, but Captain Graham and his team did an exemplary job with the supplies, Bill replied. We should be just fine while we wait for the crops to come in. In fact, the extra manpower is coming handy. We're already about 20% of the way there and putting up the greenhouses. And the farmers we recruited are putting in the first seeds as we speak. So in about six or seven weeks, we'll be dining on fresh produce. The captain nodded. How are the VIPs getting settled? We got everybody processed and sheltered, although some of them are stuck in tents in the infield for the moment, Bill admitted. The engineering conference wasn't as fruitful as originally hoped, but you were able to secure 45 engineers and engineering students across a variety of fields. I relayed the info to D.C., and John Teeter wanted me to give you his personal thanks. Frank smiled. Hopefully they can do some good. John seems to think they will once they know what the battle plan is going to be, the older man replied. At the moment, they are still scrambling to acquire and protect assets. Well, if Charlotte is any indication, it's going to get real bad out there, Freeman piped up. Marie cocked her head in interest. Speaking of that, any word on how the rest of the country is doing? John didn't go into much detail when I asked. Bill shook his head. But suffice it to say, these are not good times. I've known the man 30-plus years, helped him navigate some of the worst quagmires in history, and I've never seen him this concerned. A thick air of somber recognition fell over the table. If the people at the top were doubting the success of the human race, then things were dire. Bill's radio crackled. Come in, Charlotte Fortress. Transport ship Alpha is inbound. Say what you will about Captain Graham, Frank declared. But the man has timing. A chuckle flitted around the table as he extended his hand to Bill. You mind if I take this one? By all means, sir, the older man replied and placed his radio in the captain's hand. Come in, Alpha, we hear you and are ready for your arrival, Frank said. Now with the formalities out of the way, can you please put my good buddy Captain Terrell Graham on the line? There was a long silence. Captain, it's Bennett and Foster. Terrell's not with us. 
Frank sat up straight, face going white as a sheet. Bennett, what's going on? Just after we took off, Fort Bragg got overrun, the corporal explained. Captain Graham and a few others were safe in the command office, but we don't know much more than that. Why in the fuck didn't you go in after him? Frank snarled. We had our orders, sir, Bennett snapped. He said that supplying you was the priority, and they didn't even have a proper read on their situation. We did a quick flyover before heading this way, and there wasn't a whole lot we could have done. There were hundreds of those things rampaging through the base, and they were making quick work of the men who were there. He paused, and the group seemed to hold their breaths in anticipation for what came next. Sir, he wanted me to give you a message. He's going to work his way towards the city, and when he gets close, he'll find a way to signal you, Bennett explained. He's resourceful. He'll be all right. Frank took a deep breath. Understood, Corporal. How close are you to the fortress? Should be there in a few minutes, came the reply. We're just entering the downtown airsp- An alarm echoed through the radio, noise and cursing filling the airwaves. Bennett? Frank screamed into the receiver, and everyone at the table leapt to their feet. We're taking fire, Bennett cried, and then the alarm and noise drowned him out. The captain and his crew tore from the skybox and into the outer walkway of the stadium. They ran to the edge and looked out towards the city, able to see the transport helicopter with smoke pouring out of the engine as it struggled to stay steady in the air. It violently veered to the left, the sound of gunshots following moments later. Who the fuck is firing on them? Webb cried. Freeman clutched the railing with white knuckles. Well, we haven't exactly made a lot of friends recently. Can't imagine people were too happy about being left out in the cold to fend for themselves while we set up shop here. Webb shook his head in disgust, the group helplessly watching the struggling helicopter with their comrades inside of it. We're going down, Bennett cried, and the aircraft lurched again before landing violently on the roof of a tall office building. The group winced at the sound of the crash coming through the radio, and then there was silence. Bennett, Frank demanded, you guys okay? There was a moment of pause before a dull click. Yeah, we're here and mostly in one piece. Guess we can mark that one off the bucket list, holy fuck. They listened intently as Bennett, muffled, seemed to be checking on Foster. He was cut off with machine gun fire. Contact, contact! he screamed, leaving the channel open during the firefight. Frank held the radio to his head, wide-eyed. The group huddled around him, fingers twitching as if they could do something through the feed to help their friends. I'm out, Foster yelled from the background, and then there was a hollow click. Shit, Bennett cried. An unidentified male voice barked. Toss your weapons down and come out. Captain, we're being taken, Bennett whispered. We're across from a taller, blue-endowed building and drop the radio, the voice cried. Do it now. There was a hard smack, and then the line went dead. Frank took a deep breath and lowered his hands, mouth pressed in a thin line. One by one, each member of his team seemed to understand what was about to happen. All right, the captain said firmly. Let's get geared up. Chapter Four Captain, you can't go back out there, Bill insisted, as he matched pace with a determined soldier, practically jogging to keep up with him as he led his group to the equipment room. Frank narrowed his eyes. 
The hell I can't. Captain, Bill whipped in front of him and stopped the group dead. May I remind you that you are in charge of this entire facility? If you want to mount a rescue mission, you'll have my complete support, but you must delegate it. Delegate it to who exactly? Frank crossed his arms. The fresh-faced kids who are setting up greenhouses? How many of those troops down there have even seen combat? Run covert operations? Hell, how many of them have come face-to-face -face with a zombie? Bill sighed, shoulders slumping as he stepped out of the way. Fair enough, Captain. He conceded as he fell into step once again. How can I help? Get some people up here who know the city and try to figure out what building that is, Frank instructed. We're gonna need to know every conceivable route to get to it as well. God only knows what the roads downtown are like. Consider it done, Bill replied. What else? Tell Sergeant Lambert to meet us on the second floor above the transports, the captain finished and threw open the door to the equipment room. Minutes later, the team of five climbed down the rope ladders to the top of the large transport vehicle they'd rode in on. Freeman and Marie stood guard, looking out over the sea of thousands of zombies, all moaning and reaching for them like a rotten mosh pit. The truck swayed slightly with the ebb and flow of their push. So much death, Marie mused. I don't even know where to begin comprehending it. Freeman shrugged. One death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. She cocked her head. Did you just quote Joseph Stalin to me? I did, he replied and raised an eyebrow at her. What, are you surprised that I quoted a historical figure instead of a movie character? Well, yeah, she admitted, but also somewhat confused as to why you thought it applied here. I thought it was relevant because you said you didn't know how to comprehend all this death. Freeman explained, motioning to the crowd with his rifle. The only way to survive something like this is to think of it as a statistic. You can't look out there and think about the mothers who watched their kids die, or the fathers who never made it home from work, or the entire family trees that were chopped down. No, you have to look out there at the sea of corpses and think, damn, that's 20% of the city right there, and move on while making some quip to yourself about how you thought it would be bigger. Marie smirked. I'm guessing I'm not the only woman to have that thought go through her head in your presence. He laughed, glad to have cheered her up. Glad you took advantage of that one, because they aren't always going to be softballs. She grinned deviously, and he rolled his eyes, shaking his head. I'm gonna go get this thing started up, Freeman said, and turned towards the front of the truck. She nodded. Good call. Frank stood at the top of the ladder as Sergeant Lambert strode towards he and Bill. Sergeant, thank you for coming up, Frank said, extending his hand. Lambert shook it and nodded. Yes, sir, how can I help? We're going on a rescue mission, and in my absence, Bill is in complete control of this facility, the captain instructed. I know it's a military operation, but things need to get done and he knows what they are. You are to support him with whatever he needs. Lambert saluted. Understood, sir. If we are gone more than 48 hours, it means we probably aren't coming back, Frank continued. If that happens, your orders are to contact DC and let them make the judgment call from there. Yes, sir, the sergeant agreed. There won't be any power play on my part. We're in this together. The captain nodded, putting a hand on his comrade's shoulder. You're a good man, Lambert. I'm glad they picked you for this assignment. Thank you, sir.
the sergeant replied, and stepped back as Frank turned to Bill. What's the word on the building? He asked. They're still trying to pinpoint it, but said for you to head up to Tryon Street and they'll talk you in from there, Bill replied. Thanks, Frank replied, and took a deep breath. We'll be in touch. He slipped over the edge onto the rope ladder, climbing down and landing hard on the roof of the transport truck. He ignored the sea of zombies, walking to the hatch in pure business mode. He dropped into the cab and secured the top hatch before getting comfortable in the passenger seat. All right, Freeman, the captain began. Once you get out of the front gate, we're hanging a left on Tryon. And let's take it slow because they're still working on the building ID. Freeman grinned as he put the truck in gear, corpses crunching under the weight of the tires as he crawled forward. Nothing like a leisurely drive to the city. Chapter 5 Man, there's a whole lot of nothing out here, Coleman said, as he gazed out over the rural farmland of eastern North Carolina. Terrell nodded as he studied a farm below them, a faded red barn crumpled to the dirt. There's a couple of small towns, but that's about it. Exactly, the corporal replied. You'd figure that with the small towns, we'd see some signs alive, or at least some zombies milling about, but there's just nothing. The captain nodded thoughtfully. The gaslight flashed furiously, and he sighed. Well, looks like we get to see firsthand if it really is a whole lot of nothing out there. Where do you want me to set it down at? Coleman asked. Figure we have about five more minutes of flight time before we're not going to have a choice in the matter. Terrell pulled out a pair of binoculars and looked across the horizon. There was a cluster of buildings in the distance that looked like it could be a small town. He pointed in that direction. Looks like there's something resembling civilization a few miles that way, he instructed. Let's set it down short of town and we'll hike in. You got it, Captain, Coleman replied, and flew to an empty field with a line of trees on one side. He gracefully lowered to the grass, leaving as much open space around them as he could. He powered everything off, and the blade slowed as he and his comrade popped out of the cab with their weapons at the ready. They swept their surroundings, squinting in the sunlight, and then relaxed as they met around the back of the chopper. What do you know? Looks like you were right, Terrell said good-naturedly. Ain't nothing around here. As if on cue, a single high-powered rifle shot cracked through the air, and they ducked before realizing it was too far away to be meant for them. You were saying there, Cap? Coleman asked. Terrell chuckled and shook his head. Yeah, yeah, learned my lesson. Last time I give you any sort of praise. What do you think? The corporal mused. You want to check it out? Well, it's either that or sleep in a field tonight, because that's about the only bit of civilization I saw, Terrell replied. Coleman held out his arm. All right, lead the way. They moved towards the tree line in defensive position, and upon pushing through the wooded area, saw a big box discount store. There were a few dozen corpses scattered around the parking lot, but there was no movement that could be seen. Up for a little shopping? Terrell asked. Coleman nodded. Seeing as how we didn't pack any food or water, it might be a prudent thing to do. They kept their guard up as they slowly moved into the parking lot, finding the lack of movement not exactly reassuring due to the recent gunfire. When they reached the front door, Terrell led the way inside, 
everything remarkably intact considering the apocalypse. There were a few knocked-over displays and a blood streak here and there, the power completely out, but for the most part, everything seemed still together. The bulk of the store was darkened, aside from the occasional ray of sunlight peeking through the odd skylights here and there in the ceiling. They froze at the sound of shattering glass. Be careful with those, a stern male voice barked. Terrell silently motioned for Coleman to follow him towards the noise. They moved down a mostly stripped bare aisle towards what looked like a flickering flashlight moving around. As they approached the end, an African-American teenager strolled around the corner and stopped dead, eyes widening in fear. Easy now, kid, Terrell said, when he realized how young their opponent was. We ain't gonna hurt you. The kid turned on his heel and sprinted back the way he'd come, towards the lit-up area. They're here, they're here, he screamed. Terrell shook his head. Shit. The duo raised their guns again and turned the corner to see a group of civilians loading up several shopping carts. They were mostly younger, late teens to early twenties, but there was an elderly couple as well. They all had ragged, torn clothes and one rifle between all of them, but it was propped in a cart and pointed at the ceiling. Please, the old man rasped. Just take whatever you want. We won't put up a fight. Terrell relaxed. Relax there, old-timer, we ain't taking your stuff. Although if you have a couple bottles of water, we'd be very appreciative, Coleman added, lowering his weapon. The old man looked them up and down and then nodded in approval, motioning to the young teenager that had initially spotted them in the aisle. Walter, get these men some water. The kid chewed his lower lip with nervousness. But Mr. Hoy, they could beat Walter, do as I say, the old man snapped. I think these men are here to help. Walter shook his head in frustration, but followed the instructions, gathering up a few bottles of water. He stepped forward tentatively, keeping his eyes downcast, and held them out. Terrell took the bottles, but grabbed the kid's wrist, kneeling down to look him in the eye. Walter, he said firmly, making sure the kid was looking at him. From now on, I want you to look people in the eye. Never let them think they're above you. The kid nodded jerkily. Yes, yes, sir. The captain stood up as Walter rejoined his group and turned to the old man. All right, Mr. Hoyt, why don't you give us a lay of the land? Who did young Walter here think we were? Please, sir, just call me Hoyt, the old man insisted. All right, Terrell agreed. I'm Terrell, and this is Coleman. It's a pleasure, sirs, Hoyt replied with a slight incline of his head. This is my wife, Edna, and that's Walter, Ruth, Clara, and Henry. We're part of a group that took up residence in Clinton, which is about three miles up the road. Rather than have us stay at the farms all around the area, Xavier came around and collected us. He felt like there was strength in numbers. So what are y'all doing all the way out here? Terrell furrowed his brow. The old man held up a mason jar. We were running low on canning supplies. This is the only big store in the immediate vicinity, so we risked coming out. So what were y'all shooting at earlier? Coleman asked. Get surprised by a zombie? Hoyt pursed his lips before responding. I'm afraid that wasn't us, sir. Terrell shot the corporal a concerned glance. Has somebody been bothering y'all? 
Yes, sir, but I believe Xavier will be able to explain the situation better. The old man replied, If you don't mind coming into town with us, I'm sure he'd be happy to have you. What do you think, Coleman? The captain asked his comrade. Pretty sure they're making some fried chicken for dinner tonight, too, Hoyt added. Coleman grinned. I think we have our answer. A trio of gunshots rang out, and the civilians all immediately ducked behind Hoyt, who fumbled with his rifle. Terrell held up a hand to stop him. I think you'd better let us handle this, he said, and took up a defensive stance as the old man nodded. Coleman, aisle six. You got it, Cap, the corporal replied, and rushed off down the darkened aisle that ran parallel to the groups, but still away from the front door. Hoots and hollers echoed throughout the store, another shot piercing the air. Terrell stood his ground about ten feet in front of the group, arms crossed and assault rifle slung across his back. A tall and muscular man, wearing a flannel shirt with the sleeves torn off, strolled out of the darkness with a shotgun in his hands. Hey, boys, they're over here, he drawled, grinning to show off more than a few missing teeth. Oh, yeah, we're gonna have some fun with y'all. Terrell smirked. I would genuinely like to see you try. The redneck clenched his jaw, narrowing his eyes as he stopped a few feet away from the captain. Oh, looks like we got one of them tough brothers here. Tell me, boy, what do you think you're gonna be able to do to me? Terrell looked his opponent up and down before smiling. Well, my initial thought was to shove that shotgun up your ass, he shrugged. But then I realized that you were a backcountry hillbilly and would probably enjoy that. The redneck snarled and raised his gun, but the captain lashed out and blocked it, punching his opponent in the throat. The redneck dropped to one knee, struggling for air, and Terrell rammed his knee into the guy's gasping face. He picked up the shotgun as the man collapsed into a blubbering mess on the floor and pointed it at the redneck's head as his four buddies approached from the darkness. Wouldn't be the wisest move you could make, the captain warned. The men kept their guns pointed at the floor, and a slightly overweight one put his rifle on the floor and raised his hands, stepping forward. Okay now, mister, let's not do anything crazy here, he cooed. Terrell snorted. Would have been great if you had instilled that sentiment in your boy here. Now I ain't gonna make any excuses for old Andrew there, the man admitted. Boy's got a shorter fuse than a bootleg firecracker, but I'm a little more laid back than he is. So now my name's Ralph, what's yours? You can call me Terrell. All right now, Terrell, Ralph continued. Why don't you just let my friend there go and we'll just pretend this little misunderstanding didn't happen? Hey, Hoyt, the captain asked over his shoulder. These some of the people who've been bothering you? The old man nodded vigorously. Yes, sir. I got a counteroffer for you, Ralph. Terrell declared. I'm gonna let your boy here go, provided you explain to me why you're hassling these poor folks. What do you say, we got a deal? Ralph nodded. Okay, I can do that. Andrew started to crawl back to his friends, but Terrell stamped down on his shoulder with his boot, preventing his movement. Now one more thing, he said. Just for my own personal comfort, what do you say we de-escalate the situation a bit? Maybe secure our weapons? Ralph turned and waved to his crew, and they slung their rifles onto their backs. Terrell let go of Andrew, and he slithered back to his friends. Now you gonna honor our disarmament agreement there? Ralph asked, motioning to the shotgun. 
Terrell looked at it and shrugged, then laid it on the ground beside him. Now, fair is fair, after all. Now, why don't you come over here and explain to me why you're bothering these nice folks? The redneck took a deep breath. Well, you see, Terrell. Nah, Ralph. The captain put up a hand to stop him. This feels like a man-to-man conversation to me. Why don't you come over here and explain it to me privately instead of announcing it to the world? The redneck hesitated, glancing back at Andrew's bleeding face. Come on now, I don't bite. Ralph nodded to his buddies, and then approached the captain until they were at arm's length. Terrell lowered his voice. Now what's your problem with these people? Well, as I'm sure you are well aware, things have taken a turn for the worse in the last couple of days, Ralph replied, matching his quiet demeanor. And without going into too many specifics, they have some things in town that my friends and I require. So that's it then? Terrell raised an eyebrow. You want to rob these people? The redneck scoffed. Not a matter of wanting to, it's needing to. Y'all look like you can handle yourselves pretty well, at least against most obstacles. The captain mused. Why aren't you out there fending for yourselves, instead of trying to take from people who are clearly not as strong as you? Look, it's nothing personal. Ralph put his hands up. Just survival of the fittest. Terrell shook his head. Hmm, survival of the fittest. That's your reasoning? Yes, sir, it's as simple as that. The redneck replied with a smile. Well, it is what it is, I suppose, the captain said with a sigh. Now what are we going to do about our little standoff here? Ralph shrugged. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we can head our separate ways for the day. Although just a bit of friendly advice since it looks like you're just passing through. If you're staying in town tonight, you may want to get an early start towards your destination tomorrow. Putting your survival of the fittest into practice? Terrell raised an eyebrow. The redneck cocked his head. Not my call to make, however, if I were a betting man. I tell you what, you seem like a man of your word, the captain said. Why don't we shake on a truce for the day? Ralph looked at the captain's outstretched hand and then back at his face. He finally nodded and took it. Truce it is. Terrell yanked his arm and then chopped down with his free hand to break his elbow. He wrenched the shattered arm behind Ralph's back his captive shrieking in pain as he became a human shield. The trio moved to grab their guns, but Coleman emerged from the shadows behind them, a gun in each hand. Oh, please, please keep moving, he said. The rednecks quickly let go of their weapons, raising their hands. Terrell lowered his mouth to Ralph's ear, snarling as the redneck whimpered. Do I look fit enough for you, motherfucker? he asked pleased as his charge nodded and sputtered in the affirmative. Hoyt, if you'd be so kind as to collect the weapons and ammo from our guests, the captain directed. Just be mindful of the potential blood spatter, should any of them try to do anything other than remain perfectly still. Yes, sir, Hoyt replied, and quickly collected the weapons. The rednecks didn't move a muscle with Coleman stationed behind them. Once he was clear and the rifles were in the cart... Terrell gave Ralph's arm one more violent tweak before kicking him towards his friends. He drew his sidearm and pointed it at the redneck's head. You know, Ralph, I've thought about what you said, and I feel obliged to give you a bit of personal info, Terrell said, as conversational as if he were talking about the weather. I'm kind of a fan of sleeping in, so you may want to pass that along to whoever you see fit. I get the sense that information might impact your morning activities. 
Ralph grimaced as one of his buddies helped him to his feet, and they turned to leave. Hold up a sec, Terrell piped up and looked to Walter. You got any bandages in that cart? The kid rummaged and picked up a roll of gauze. Yes, sir, he replied. Would you please toss it over to our injured friend? The captain motioned to the seething redneck. I wouldn't want him thinking that was something personal. Walter tossed the gauze to the group, and Andrew picked it up, glaring daggers at them. Coleman, please see our friends here get where they're going, Terrell instructed as they passed the corporal. Coleman grinned. Oh, I'll make sure they remember where they parked. He followed the rednecks out of the store at gunpoint, and Terrell bent down to pick up the shotgun he'd set on the tile. He strode over and set it in Hoyt's shopping cart, letting out a deep breath as he addressed the old man. Hoyt, I believe it's about time for you to introduce me to Xavier. Chapter 6 Jesus Christ, Freeman breathed as he drove the large transport truck through the zombie-infested streets of downtown Charlotte. Hundreds of zombies surrounded the vehicle, smacking their hands against the side as it passed, in a futile attempt to get at the moving box of human treats. How the hell did anybody survive this? Marie shrugged. We have so far. Yeah, but we're highly trained and heavily armed. He replied with a shake of his head. We barely made it through the night. Webb poked his head through the hatch from the back into the cab. People are resilient, he said. Hopefully not too resilient, though, since they apparently don't like us too much. Just got off the horn with Bill, Frank said, his own head appearing next to Webb. It's gonna be the building on the next corner. How you wanna go about getting in? Freeman asked. The captain raised an eyebrow. Curbside service and go in through the second floor? And to think I got a ticket the last time I drove on the sidewalk, Freeman muttered as he hopped the curb, crushing some zombies against the wall. Even through the thick metal shell of the cab, the group could hear the crunch of bones under the pressure. He put it into park and shut down the engine as Frank clambered up to poke his head out of the top hatch. All right, we're good, the captain declared. Webb, you're on me. We're gonna breach and make sure the coast is clear. Y'all hang tight. Don't worry, Miss Daisy, Freeman replied with a faux southern accent. I ain't going anywhere. Frank barked a laugh. You keep that up and I'm gonna make you wear a chauffeur hat. He pulled himself out, Webb following swiftly, and took a moment to peruse the sea of angry-looking, hungry zombies. Well, Cap, if you ever wanted to crowd surf, the corporal grinned. Frank wrinkled his nose. Yeah, I think that one's stand on the bucket list for a while. He strode over to the building, peering in through the windows. The sill was at chest height, the transport just a touch too low for him to get a good look. Office, he said, and then moved to the next window. Office, he repeated, and then peeked into the next one, cupping his hands around his eyes. Bingo, got a hallway. Webb moved over to him, but the captain waved him off. Stay by the hatch, he instructed. With this tinted glass and no power, I can only see about ten feet down the hallway. We might have company and need to make a hasty retreat. If that's the case, Webb insisted, I'm covering you while you get in. The captain nodded before taking his sidearm, aiming it at the corner of the giant expanse of glass. He took a couple of steps back and fired, 
shattering it in a spectacular array of sparkling matter. There were shrieks as a few zombies inside sprinted towards him, clad in blood-covered business suits. Frank stood his ground, and as the pack reached the window, he stepped aside, letting them flop onto their faces on top of the transport truck and then bounce into the sea of zombies. What the fuck was that? Webb laughed, eyebrows raised at his captain. Frank shrugged and moved back to the window, the corporal joining him at the sill. He pulled a flashlight and shone it inside, exposing another zombie towards the end of the long corridor. It didn't notice them, simply groaning and bumping into the far corner. What do you think? Webb asked. You want to go in? Frank pursed his lips, thinking for a moment, and then sucked his lower lip between his teeth, letting out a long, sharp whistle that pierced the air, echoing down the hallway. The zombie in the corner immediately shambled towards them, though much slower, dragging its leg behind it. Well, that's new, Frank said as he cocked his head. Webb's brow furrowed. It's almost like he hurt himself. I'm not up in my zombie lore, the captain admitted. Can they get hurt? I'm not sure about feeling pain, the corporal replied. But their bodies are flesh and bone. Being dead can't be that healthy. That's a valid point there, Frank agreed. Webb motioned to the struggling zombie as it got closer to the window. You want to, or should I? Nah, I got it, the captain replied, shaking his head. He grabbed the windowsill and pulled himself up, hopping his legs gracefully over into the building. He pinned the zombie against the wall and planted his knife in its head, wiped the blade on his thigh, and sheathed it. Webb, get the others. He turned back to the window. We're on the move. Freeman pulled Marie up in through the window as Webb and Gardner kept watch down the hallway. Okay, Webb is gonna lead us up and find the stairs, Frank explained. Watch the corners and open doors. If shit goes down and you get separated, the rally point is gonna be the northeast corner of whatever floor is two down from the shitstorm. Everybody good? There was a chorus of, yes, sir, and he raised a hand. Let's do it, the captain said. Webb took point, his flashlight illuminating the dark hallway. As the team moved along, there were some sudden zombie screams and banging, and they froze. The doors were all shut tight, however, and as they realized that the corpses were all sufficiently holed up, continued to move. Man, so many people dying at their desks, Gardner mused. I mean, it's good for us, but damn, that's just depressing. Pretty sure there's a heavy-handed metaphor in there somewhere, Marie added. Webb raised his hand as they came to the corner. Got the stairwell and the coast is clear, he said. Go easy on the breach. Freeman said. Cap and I learned that one the hard way. The corporal led the team up to the stairwell door and banged on it a few times. The sound reverberated throughout the concrete tower, and they waited with bated breath. A full minute went by with no other sounds. I think we're good, Webb said. Frank nodded. Go slow, just to be sure. The corporal made a noise of agreement and then pushed on the door release but it didn't move very easily. There's something behind it, he grunted. Gardner, give me a hand. They shoved, putting both of their body weights into the door, but were only able to get it open about a third of the way. Can anybody get through? Webb asked. 
Marie stepped forward. Yeah, I can do it. No. Freeman lashed out and grabbed her arm. Let me do it. Ah, it's a good thing you're sweet, because you really come up short when it comes to judging where you'll fit, she said, voice sugary sweet. There's no way you're getting through there. It's me or nobody. He clenched his jaw and nodded jerkily, letting go of her arm. Don't go being a hero now. She shot him a smile and got into position. The corporals shoved the door, and she squeezed through as they held it open. As soon as she got to the other side, she coughed into her hand. Holy fuck, that's sick, she groaned. What do you see? Frank asked. Marie shook her head. Somebody put their thinking cap on for this one, she said. It's a zombie barricade. She surveyed the pile of about a dozen corpses, stacked six tall and two deep. Do you think you can move them? The captain asked through the cracked door. She took out her handgun and poked one of the corpses in the head. No movement. She poked the next one. Yeah, she replied. But y'all are gonna have to give me a second to confirm their deceased status. You take all the time you need, Frank agreed. She finished her check and then holstered her gun, grabbing one of the top zombies by the back of its suit jacket. One by one, she hauled them to the floor and then pushed them down the stairs. After she toppled the fifth one down, Webb and Gardner were able to shove the door open far enough for the group to enter. Fucking hell, man, Freeman gaped at the pile of bodies. That's just fucking hell. Marie smirked. Didn't know you were a poet. Only when I'm properly motivated, he shrugged. Frank readied his weapon. Webb, lead us up. Yes, sir, the corporal replied, taking point once again. He shone his flashlight up the stairwell. 135 floor height coming right up. He moved slowly, being cautious. As he hit the third floor landing, he pursed his lips. Another zombie cade, he reported, and then continued the ascent. Each floor had a stack of business suit-wearing corpses piled in front of the door. As they approached the 15th floor, Webb stopped short. What's up, Webb? Gardner asked. You getting out of shape, brother? The corporal turned and put his finger to his mouth, and then pointed towards the door. Frank stepped up and peered around him, noting that there weren't any bodies blocking the door that time. That doesn't look suspicious at all, Webb whispered, sarcasm laced in his tone. I think we need to push onto the roof, Frank replied quietly. Our boys could be in there, but we don't know what's above us. We'll get up there and work our way down. Gardner raised an eyebrow. Anybody think to bring a motion sensor? He asked. The team all checked their pockets, and after a few moments of frantic padding, Marie handed him a small plastic base with a lens on the front. Is this a motion sensor? She asked. Gardner grinned. Yes, it is, thank you. He grabbed it, pulled out a small tablet, and synced the two. He attached the device to the wall a faint laser beam aimed right at the door. If somebody opens that door, we'll know it, he said. Frank clapped him on the back. All right, let's keep moving. Webb led them up to the top floor, the rest of the doors blocked with a pile of corpses once again. The team got into defensive position and prepared to breach the door. Frank held up his hand in a silent countdown, and when he got to one finger, Webb threw open the door. 
The group immediately streamed onto the roof, fanning out to cover all directions. One by one, they each yelled clear and converged at the fallen helicopter. It was a complete mess, laying upside down, blades broken off, and the engine still smoldering. Frank moved to the door, taking a deep breath before looking in. He was relieved not to find the bodies of his comrades, though there was some blood where they'd clearly been after the crash. Bennett and Foster aren't here, Frank declared. Freeman knelt down in front of the fallen vehicle, recoiling at the sight of the pilot, whose face had been rearranged by a giant piece of shrapnel. Pilot's here, but he ain't going anywhere, he said, standing as Frank turned away from the wreck, face pensive. Check the holds and they're mostly empty, Webb declared. So whoever brought this thing down got the supplies. Is that why they shot it down? Gardner asked. They wanted the goods? I doubt it was anybody from this building that took it out, Marie put in. Freeman nodded. Yeah, that would be some video game level shit right there. Snipe a helicopter and have it land at your feet on top of a 37-story building? That isn't happening outside of an Xbox. So what now, Cap? Webb asked. Gardner's motion sensor alarm bleated, and Frank turned towards the door. We get ready for company. Chapter 7 Two men that looked to be in their late 20s strolled out of the roof access door, untucked button-down shirts a little bit blood-stained from their forays into the apocalypse. They froze at the sight of Frank, leaning against the down chopper with his legs crossed, taking in the sun. How's it going there, fellas? He asked with a grin. The two men glanced at each other, wide-eyed, and then one of them reached for a handgun in the back of his waistband. The rest of the team popped up from the debris, weapons drawn, surrounding them, and the two newcomers froze. Hey, can I borrow this for a few minutes? Freeman asked, and walked up to grab the handgun out of the guy's pants. Thanks. Please, don't kill us, the guy pleaded, voice trembling. Gardner shrugged. That decision may be out of our hands, he said with an exaggerated sigh. Depends on what you tell us about our two missing friends. You mean the other soldiers? The unarmed man piped up, motioning over his shoulder. Oh yeah, they're fine. We, we can take you to them. I bet you can, Gardner replied. Let me guess, they're on the 15th floor? The guys glanced at each other with surprised eyes, and then looked back to the corporal, nodding furiously. Frank pushed away from the helicopter to approach them. What's waiting for us down there? He asked. Just a bunch of people trying to survive. The guy who'd had the handgun said earnestly, we don't mean you any harm. Frank raised an eyebrow. So are my friends down there just hanging out with y'all? Well, the second guy scratched the back of his head. Not exactly. The captain shoved him hard, his head smacking into the brick wall behind him like a basketball on the blacktop. What the fuck do you mean not exactly, he seethed. Before he could answer, there was a loud crack of a gunshot, and Gardner blew right off of his feet. Everyone hit the ground, assuming defensive positions. Where's it coming from, Freeman cried. I can't see anybody. Webb searched frantically. I got nothing either. Marie scurried over to Gardner, dropping to her knees. 
He had one hand clamped around his bicep, and she covered it with her own. Let me see, she instructed, and he let go to reveal a bit of blood. She studied it for a moment. Didn't hit anything major, she declared. You'll be fine, now get up. Still hurts like a motherfucker, though. Gardner winced as another shot rang out, the concrete at Freeman's boots exploding. Sniper three o'clock, the corporal cried, and the team moved into useful cover with the direction identified. Frank kept the two unarmed guys pinned against the wall, his handgun against a throat. Who was shooting at us, he demanded. Fuck if I know, man, the first guy insisted. You haven't made a lot of friends lately. Notice he shot when you put your hands on my friend here. Freeman, cover fire, Frank barked. Everybody into the stairwell. The corporal popped out and shot wildly at the neighboring building as the team made a run for the door. One by one they dove in, and Freeman led up to turn and dart away. The sniper managed to hit the ground just behind him as he hustled inside. Frank looked around, doing a head count. Everybody good? He asked, and there was a chorus in the affirmative before he nodded. So where were we? Oh yeah, my friends you're holding hostage. We secured them because they fired on us, one of the captives squeaked, his arms high in the air. We didn't kill them, though. How many people you got down there? Frank crossed his arms. How many of them are armed? I don't know, man, he replied, shaking his head rapidly. There's 30, maybe 40 of us, and a good number of them are packing. Frank pursed his lips. Webb, secure these guys to the railing, he said, waving his hand. On it, Cap. The corporal replied and shoved them down into a sitting position, back to back. He used zip ties to secure their hands against each other, and then another looped to attach them to the railing. Frank turned to the rest of the team. Gardner, you okay? He asked. It's just a flesh wound, he'll be fine, Marie replied. The corporal nodded. What the lady said. So what's the play, Captain? Freeman asked. Frank sighed. I don't know. Every other time we face this kind of situation, we've gone in guns a-blazing and killed everyone who wasn't one of ours, he mused. But that just doesn't feel right this time. These people aren't our enemies. They didn't shoot down the chopper. They're just trying to survive. Well, they did shoot at Bennett and Foster as well as take them hostage, Freeman pointed out. The captain shook his head. But what if they're telling the truth that Bennett and Foster fired first? So what? The corporal stiffened. You want to go have a chat with them? Hey, just some free advice, one of the captives piped up from his secured position on the landing. We may not be your enemy, but we're sure as hell not your friends. A few of the people down there tried to go to the stadium before they ended up here, so you take that for what it's worth. Frank shook his head and sighed. All right, y'all, let's move out and go get our boys. So what are we doing, Captain? Freeman repeated. Clearing them out or trying to strike up a conversation? Not sure yet, the captain replied, but I have 20 floors to think it over. Chapter 8 Coleman raised an eyebrow as the four-foot-tall sheets of metal bolted to the side of the truck bed they were in, swayed back and forth with each bump in the road. Not the sturdiest protection there, he said. Walter shrugged. It's on there pretty good, and those things can't get through, he replied. What more do you really need? Yeah, Coleman, Terrell said playfully. What more do you need? 
The corporal smiled and shook his head as the truck drove slowly down a residential road. There were a few straggler zombies darting out onto the road behind them, and at the sound of gunshots, the two soldiers stood up, rifles at the ready. You ain't gotta worry, Walter said, motioning for them to sit down. That's just our people clearing the way for us. They relaxed and sat down, but kept their guns ready as the truck drove right into the center of town. Two-story buildings lined the streets, gunmen leaning out of the high windows. They each hooted and hollered, occasionally picking off a stray zombie but keeping the horde out of the way. A few of them simply flipped off the zombies, bringing a bit of joy to the soldiers as they looked on. The truck passed through a makeshift gate, which looked like a repurposed barn door covered in barbed wire. A few older farmhands shut the gate behind them immediately before the distracted zombies noticed, and then lowered the tailgate of the truck. Y'all do okay out there? The taller African-American farmhand smiled as he helped the kids off of the bed. We had some trouble, but our new friends helped us, Walter replied, motioning to the soldiers. You go on and get Xavier now, Walter, the man instructed as he helped the old man to the ground. Yes, sir, Walter replied and headed off. Coleman and Terrell clambered down into a hive of activity. There were well over a hundred people buzzing around, the majority of which looked like farm workers. A small group cooked in large pots over open flame. Numerous people carried supplies into buildings, and others reinforced one of the walls blocking the street. It looked like what had been done originally was to block the city's center square with whatever they could find. There were cars reinforced with sheet metal, giant hay bales packed two high and eight deep. At the far end, there were three large 18-wheelers lined up. Pretty impressive, Terrell said, nodding as he gazed around. Two days into the apocalypse and they've already got themselves a kingdom set up. Well, I don't consider myself to be royalty. A loud voice replied. It would be rude of me as your host to deny you the ability to refer to me as such. The soldiers turned to see a tall African-American man that looked to be in his mid-fifties striding towards them. He had weathered skin like most of the farmhands, but his clothes were clean and crisp, unlike the tattered plaid of the workers. His hair was cropped close to his head, and his collar-length beard was well-groomed. You must be Xavier, Terrell said with a smile. The man nodded as he reached them, clasping his hands in front of him. Indeed I am, gentlemen, and you must be the two good Samaritans young Walter spoke of. Yes, sir, the captain replied. I'm Terrell, and this is Coleman. He extended his hand. Xavier shook with each of them in turn. Terrell, Coleman, thank you for bringing my people back safely. It was our pleasure, sir. The corporal replied, the captain and I never pass up an opportunity to put a bully in their place. I wish that this situation was nothing more than a simple case of bullying. The leader sighed. I'm afraid this goes much, much further than that, however. Well, based on our encounter, these guys seem very interested in acquiring something you have, Terrell explained. Yes, they want our food supply, Xavier replied. He paused and blinked before shaking his head. My apologies, gentlemen. I have failed in my duties as a host. May I offer you something to eat? Terrell's stomach growled at the mere mention of food. 
We would be very appreciative for a meal, Xavier. Hell, I'll settle for a pack of crackers at this point, Coleman added. Well, my friend, I believe we can do a little better than that, Xavier replied with a twinkle in his eye and waved for them to follow. He led them to a makeshift campsite where two white-haired women were cooking in a giant pot over a large fire. Afternoon, ladies, the leader greeted. Hey, Mr. Xavier, one of them replied with a toothless smile. The other winked at Terrell. And hello to your new friends. Miss June, Miss Ruth, Xavier said. I'd like you to meet Terrell and Coleman. It's a pleasure, June inclined her head. Ruth smirked. Mm, love me a man in uniform. Coleman blushed as Terrell gave her a little bow. Well, ladies, what delicacy do you have cooking up for us today? Xavier asked. June preened under the compliment. We have a wonderful six-vegetable soup, nice and hot. Although I see that look in your eye, Ruth added, pointing at Coleman. And I got something special for you. The corporal laughed. Ma'am, I cannot wait. She reached behind the pot and pulled out a plate with a fried chicken leg on it. You strike me as a leg, man, she said coyly. Ma'am, you have no idea. Coleman replied and gratefully took the leg. The three men each took up a bowl of soup and made their way over to the bench in front of the courthouse. They inhaled their food, the only sound over the ambient working noises, the slurping of hungry soldiers. Xavier, that was tremendous, Terrell said, after he drank the last of his bowl. Coleman nodded his agreement. Thank you very much. My pleasure, gentlemen, the leader replied. It's the least I could do, given your deeds. May I ask you a question? Terrell asked. Xavier nodded. Please. How did you manage to secure the town of Clinton? The captain inquired. Was it not impacted by the zombie outbreak? We are fortunate with our location being so far away from heavily populated areas, Xavier replied. As a result, people around here had plenty of warning about what was transpiring. Most of those with the means to packed up and headed for the coast, my business partner being among them. He spouted some nonsense about finding a boat and getting offshore before calamity took root. It was a foolish plan because even if he found a vessel, there wouldn't be a reliable source of food or water. Alas, he would not listen to reason and chose to follow the majority of the town on their ill-fated quest. If everybody left town, then who are all these people? The corporal asked. Mr. Coleman, we are a poor farming community, Xavier replied, spreading his hands to motion to the workers. The farm owners, the business owners, those are the people who packed up and left. The people you see here, most of them don't have cars, and the ones who do have transportation wouldn't have gotten very far given the condition. He took a deep breath, clenching his jaw for a beat before continuing. A lot of the people here were working their daily farm jobs when they watched their employers pack up their families and leave town without so much as a warning about the storm that was coming. Terrell furrowed his brow. But you didn't leave. I did not, sir. Xavier shook his head gravely. I was born in this town, built a life for myself in this town, and achieved things I never thought possible when I was a child. The moment I learned vulnerable people were people left behind, I started collecting them. Carload by carload, we came to the center of town and secured it. Ten people became twenty, twenty became forty, and by the end of the first day, 
We had over a hundred and fifty people safe and secure behind these walls. That's impressive, Coleman said, eyebrows raised. Not to mention noble as hell. Just because you are poor doesn't mean you should be left to die, Xavier said, face stoic, but his eyes betraying his anger. I care about the people of this town and will do anything to protect them. Again, if you don't mind me asking, how are you going to provide for this many people? Terrell worried. Xavier stood up. Please, gentlemen, come with me, he said, and led them to the three huge transport trucks. Before all of this, my business partner and I ran a successful trucking company. We had contracts with many of the farms in the area to take their harvests to market. As fate would have it, the day this hit, we had three of these trucks loaded up at a nearby farm. He led them around to the back of one of the trucks, revealing that it was filled to the top with produce. So food, for the moment, is not an issue. He led the two shocked soldiers to a nearby building that looked like it had been some kind of recreation hall. There were dozens of large pots on top of burners, workers running back and forth carrying mason jars full of vegetables. Terrell's jaw dropped. This is a hardcore canning operation you have going on here, Xavier. Canning? Coleman furrowed his brow. Come on, Corporal, you don't know what canning is? The captain asked. What do you want, Cap? I'm a city boy, Coleman replied with a shrug. Canning, Xavier said, is an effective way to preserve food. It's been around since the early 1800s and hasn't really changed a whole lot in the last two centuries. Well, if it ain't broke, right? Coleman nodded. Xavier smiled. Right indeed, sir. How long do you think you can hold out with this supply? Terrell asked. If we ration properly, I believe we can survive for a year off of what we currently possess, the leader replied. My hope is that it will be enough time for the military to get a grasp on the situation. The soldiers exchanged a concerned look, and Terrell cleared his throat. Xavier, I, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but the military isn't coming. You're on your own out here. The older man pursed his lips, eyes glazing over. I see. He took a deep breath and then licked his lips, shaking his head. I appreciate your honesty. One way or another, we will figure out a way to survive. One of the workers that walked by gave a violent cough, and the soldiers stiffened immediately. Xavier, do you have many sick people that are coughing? Coleman asked. The leader nodded. Regrettably, we have a handful, perhaps a dozen or so. This is going to be difficult to hear, the corporal replied. But you need to quarantine them immediately. Terrell nodded as Xavier glanced to him with alarm. It's an airborne virus that's causing all of this. If you have A-type blood, you get sick and turn into those things. If you get bitten, you get sick and turn into those things. Anybody that has been wounded or showing symptoms needs to be under lock and key immediately. Xavier let out a deep breath. I understand, gentlemen. I will make the necessary arrangements at the conclusion of our talk. He led them back outside, into the shade of a tree. The town bustled around them, and if it weren't for the ever-looming threat of death, it would have almost been peaceful. You have a very impressive setup, Coleman said. It's no wonder someone wants to come in and take it from you. I don't know how they found out about the food, but they did. Xavier replied, shaking his head sadly. 
We had only been back for a couple of hours when the first shot rang out. There was a young man on guard duty, making sure those creatures weren't going to breach the barricade. The bullet hit him in the chest. He paused, pursing his lips for a moment before continuing. The only comfort I take is that he passed before he struck the ground. We didn't have time to mourn as they led a full tilt assault from the east. Hard to tell how many there were, at least a few dozen. We had to use most of our ammunition to repel the invaders. Hey, look on the bright side, Terrell spoke up. They don't know that. The leader nodded. This is true, my friend. And I wouldn't worry too much about them for the moment. The captain continued. We did a number on a couple of them and made it known that we were staying in town. Gentlemen, you have already done so much for us, Xavier said, clasping his hands in front of him as he turned to face the soldiers. I do not know what your plans are. However, if you wish to move on and attempt to rejoin your military squad, I will see to it that you have transportation and supplies for the journey. I fully realize that this pandemic is larger than us, and I'm sure your superiors are missing your talents at the moment. That being said, if you would be so kind as to humor an old man, I do have a favor to ask. Terrell nodded emphatically. By all means, what is the favor? There is a farm about 15 miles outside of town that has another one of these trucks loaded up, Xavier explained. We made an attempt to retrieve it, but were overrun by the creatures. With our limited firepower and the threat of an imminent attack, we don't have the ability to secure it before the food becomes inedible. I was hoping that you could bring it to town for us. The soldiers took a pause before Terrell cocked his head. May we have a moment to discuss, he asked. Xavier nodded. Please take your time, he agreed, and moved towards a group of people stacking wooden skids to inquire about the wall reinforcements. What do you think? Terrell asked quietly. Coleman took a deep breath. I think these people could use our help. And let's be honest, the captain added. Do you really think the military is going to risk a rescue for the two of us? Hell, that's assuming we can even make it out to the coast before they get out of radio range, the corporal replied. Terrell nodded. So, you want to stay and help? You know me, Cap, Coleman grinned. I'm a sucker for good fried chicken. I'm in. The captain laughed. Nah, don't give me that bullshit. We all know you have an eye on Ruth over there. What can I say, Cap? The corporal joined the laughter. I like him feisty. They wandered over to Xavier as Terrell clapped his comrade on the shoulder. All right, Xavier, he declared, garnering the attention of the leader. We're in. He extended a hand to shake theirs each in turn, his face lighting up into a full smile. It changed his entire face, the stoic old mask looking years younger at the curling of his cheekbones. Thank you so much, he said. I don't have the words to properly express my appreciation. It's our pleasure, Coleman replied, although I wouldn't turn down some more of that fried chicken. I will make sure Ruth does a fresh batch just for you, Xavier promised. Terrell nodded. All right, we just need a truck and some directions, he said and the leader motioned for them to follow him. Minutes later, the two soldiers sat in an idling truck at the gate, waiting for the distractions to pull the zombies away from the door. How are you doing on ammo? Terrell asked. Coleman checked his guns. Got two full mags and a half one loaded in, one spare for my sidearm. He glanced behind him, 
grinning at the rifle hanging just inside the back window. And whatever is in that rifle there, gotta love the rural South. I don't think I'm doing much better than that, Terrell replied. Looks like we just gotta hope we don't have much resistance. He punched the accelerator as soon as the gate opened, driving past the surprised zombies at full speed. Once he was out of range, he slowed down to maneuver the residential streets. As he turned onto the main road out of town, he spotted a quick reflection from the tree line and slammed on the brakes. What is it, Cap? Coleman asked, lifting his rifle. Terrell pursed his lips as the bright light vanished. I think someone was waiting for us to leave town, he mused. The corporal narrowed his eyes. You want to take care of him? Terrell shook his head. Not now. I have an idea. Chapter 9 Frank held up his hand as they took up defensive positions outside of the 15th floor door, assault rifles at the ready. When we get into the room, found cover immediately, he said, voice barely above a whisper. We don't know what we're dealing with, but we have to assume everyone is a hostile. If you can avoid a killing shot, do it, but don't take unnecessary risks. I'm going right. Freeman, you go left. If you locate Bennett and Foster, secure them if you can and get them to the stairwell. Everybody ready? He waited for the series of nods and then motioned to Gardner. Here we go. He fell into a half crouch and the corporal opened the door. Frank went through first into the mostly dark room. He ducked down behind a cubicle wall, noting a few little pockets of light scattered about. The bulk of the room was a giant cubicle farm with a large glass conference room on the right. There were a few offices against the far wall, with large windows, sunlight peeking in. As Freeman entered, several shots ripped through the air, forcing him to hit the ground and crawl to the left to take cover. Gardner jerked Marie out of the way, as Webb took a knee and fired a few shots down the center aisle. He inched back and stayed low, eyes on the aisleway in case somebody popped out. You all right? Gardner asked. Marie nodded jerkily. Yeah, I'm good. You hit? Frank asked Freeman, recomposed and leaning up against a cubicle wall. The corporal shook his head. Don't think so. Good, let's keep it that way, the captain ordered, and Freeman nodded. He shifted his focus to the left flank, aiming down the walkway between the cubicles and the wall. Several more shots hit the wall, almost as if the shooters were simply trying to scare them instead of actually hit anything. Webb, y'all ready to move up? Frank hissed. Webb nodded. On your mark, Cap, he replied. Go, Frank barked and hopped up to lay down cover fire. He shot round after round, slamming into the back row of offices, aiming high in hopes of salvaging the situation without killing any civilians. Webb, Marie, and Gardner moved up, followed by Frank and Freeman, all ducking into cubicles on either side of the aisle. Contact left. Freeman cried as a young man in a suit came around the corner with his handgun raised. Four rounds ripped through him immediately, and the corporal shook his head in disdain. We're moving, he said, motioning for Gardner and Marie to move across while he secured the aisle. Get to the end and secure it, he instructed, and Gardner nodded. He led Marie up, hitting the corner of the room where the last walkway was. As they reached it, several shots tore apart the top of the fabric wall barely missing their heads. They hit the ground 
and then Gardner slowly peeked up over the shredded cubicle wall. There were two figures, silhouetted by an office window with some movement inside. They fired when they saw him, and he ducked just in time. What we got? Marie asked. Two assholes at 12 o'clock, he replied. Maybe more in the office. How many in the office? She asked. He shook his head. Don't know. All I saw was movement before I had to duck back down. Was the office glass still intact? She raised an eyebrow. Yeah, I think so, he replied. Why? She shrugged. There might be zombies in there. His eyes lit up. Looks like our shot just got a little easier. He nodded at her and then counted down from three with his fingers. They both popped up at the same time and opened fire, shattering the glass of the office before ducking back down. Screams filled the space, both corpse shrieks and human fear. They're out, they're out, somebody yelled, and then several panicked shots sounded before the screaming turned to gurgled chokes. The shots aimed towards the soldiers quickly turned to the back of the floor. Frank popped his head up to see several figures running towards the broken office window and then noticed a silhouette in the conference room that looked like two men sitting back to back. I think I got him, he said quietly. Move into the conference room, cover me. Webb nodded from beside him. On it, Cap. Frank sprinted down the aisle, hugging the wall. A few shots peppered the wall above his head, but once Webb returned fire, it stopped. He turned the corner and rushed the conference room, the glass wall shattering as he dashed. He took the opportunity to leap through the broken wall into the small conference room. Bennett and Foster were tied to rolling chairs right next to the window, gagged securely over their mouths. Frank darted towards them, but the clicks of several guns being cocked froze him in his tracks. Half a dozen armed men and women in full business attire stepped forward, brandishing an assortment of handguns, shotguns, and rifles. He didn't back down, aiming his own rifle at the man in the front, standing his ground between the group and his men. The apparent leader was a middle-aged balding man covered in blood spatters, evidence of his folly during the apocalypse. You're outnumbered there, soldier boy, he sneered. Put down your weapon and we'll let you live. Webb and Freeman emerged from the floor, aiming around the cubicles. And you're outflanked, Frank replied. So I'll give you the same offer. Put down your weapons and we'll let you live. The man raised his chin. No, I think we're gonna stay just like this, he spat. After what we saw at the stadium, none of us trust you people. Look, I'm sorry you were turned away at the stadium, Frank said sincerely, but it's not that simple. Turned away, the man barked a humorless laugh. Is that what you think happened? It's much worse than that. A group of us were standing in that crowd of hundreds when a horde of those things rushed us. The soldiers on guard, your soldiers, did nothing. They just watched as people were slaughtered. There were 20 of us who showed up there. Six made it back to this building. Six. Frank sighed. Again, I'm sorry. This is a shitty situation all around. There was a staccato of a few rapid-fire shots from the far side of the room, and both parties tensed raising their guns a little higher. Easy now, Frank said, voice cool as a cucumber. You can stop firing now, he bellowed. Are we not shooting zombies anymore? Gardner yelled back from near the broken office. Well, we're kind of in a situation over here, the captain hollered. Any other surprise shots coming up? Nah, we're good, Gardner cried. 
Frank relaxed his aggressive posture and set his weapon down on the conference table. All right, I'll make the first concession so we can start a dialogue. The balding ringleader pursed his lips and then lowered his weapon. So what you gotta say for yourself? For starters, I'm Captain Frank Kyle, Frank said gently. The man nodded. You can call me Wayne. All right, Wayne, the captain replied. The hard truth is, that stadium is a sanctuary for people who are vital to the war effort. What's going on here is happening all over the country, and if we're going to survive as a nation, the needs of those people come first. He pointed to the ceiling. That helicopter that is on your roof, the supplies in there were meant to shore up the stadium while we start growing our own food. As a show of good faith, whatever supplies you scavenged from the wreckage, you can keep. All we want is our people. I'm afraid that's not good enough, Wayne snapped. I want you to take my people to the stadium. Frank took a deep breath. Is it just the six of you? We have 85, Wayne replied. Most of the people are on the 16th floor, barricaded in for protection. Lots of defenseless people who aren't suited for this type of world. I'm sorry, but that's just too many, the captain explained, shaking his head sadly. We're already over capacity. Unless you let us in, we're going to starve in a matter of weeks. The balding man's eyes darkened. Captain, we got a situation, Gardner declared as he approached. Frank cocked his head. What is it? Marie needs to see you, he said. Both of you, it would seem. There was a pause, and Frank and Wayne looked at each other, then nodded. They motioned for their people to lower their weapons, and the two leaders walked side by side to the far end. Marie knelt over an injured man, another man in torn slacks covered in blood standing next to her, bouncing from foot to foot and wringing his hands. What is it, Marie? Frank asked, and she leaned back, revealing a fallen man with a large shard of glass protruding from his neck. This man needs medical attention and needs it now, she demanded. Frank furrowed his brow. You're a combat medic, what's the problem? The problem is, that glass shard has pierced an artery, she explained. I've stopped the superficial bleeding, but if I remove it, he's going to bleed out in a matter of minutes. I need medical supplies that are back at the stadium if he's going to live. Wayne, will you let us take this man to the stadium for treatment? Frank asked, turning to his new, faux-turned hesitant acquaintance. Once he's healed up, we'll bring him back to you. Why? Wayne snarled. So he can starve to death with the rest of us? No, so he can keep living with y'all, the captain replied. Look, I can't take you and your people there, but I can offer our support to help fortify and supply this building. With our transports, we can avoid the zombies on the ground and get into the buildings, get their supplies, and keep you going. Is that an offer you can live with? The frazzled man paused, glancing to his blood-soaked comrades, and received furious nods. I think we have a deal there, Frank, Wayne said, and offered his hand. Just remember, though, if you don't honor your end of the deal, I know where you live. Frank shook with a smile. Good luck getting to us, he winked. Gardner, Freeman, see about making a stretcher so we can get the wounded down to the transport. Everyone sprung into action, and before long, Gardner, Freeman, and Webb were lowering the injured man from the building onto the top of the transport truck. Frank stood in the hallway, overlooking the progress with Wayne. He pulled out a radio and handed it to the balding man. Here, this will let you get in touch with me, he explained. If you want to touch base with me at 8 p.m. every night, I'll give you an update on things. Wayne pursed his lips as he took the device, 
nodding and raising his gaze to the soldier. I appreciate it, Frank. My team desperately needs rest, the captain continued. But once we are rested up, we'll coordinate with you about getting this building supplied. In the meantime, we'll try to make contact with our neighbors who have the itchy trigger fingers, Wayne promised. Can't imagine you boys liked getting shot at that much. Frank laughed. Not really high up on any of our lists, frankly, so we'd all be very appreciative if you could pull that off. I'll see what I can do, his new friend replied, and they shook hands one more time before the captain climbed over onto the roof of the transport truck. The sea of zombies had tripled in size while they were inside, still banging away at the side of the vehicle. Frank stepped around the patient that they'd secured to the roof and approached Gardner by the cab hatch. You got him secured? Frank asked. The corporal nodded. Yeah, he ain't going anywhere, he replied. I'm gonna stay here and make sure of it. The captain patted the injured man on the shoulder as he descended into the cab. Don't worry, buddy, we're gonna get you fixed up, he said. He jumped down and Gardner's legs followed as the corporal took a seat to keep an eye on their charge. Freeman wrinkled his nose at the boot on his headrest. I'm guessing you want me to take it slow then? You do what you want, since if you take a sharp turn, you're the one getting kicked in the head, Gardner replied with a smirk. Freeman sighed. Valid point, slow and steady it is. He fired up the transport, put it into gear, and eased it back off of the sidewalk and onto the road. Zombies stumbled out of the way, some getting crushed into puddles of crimson mush, others ambling after the roaring engine as it headed for the stadium. Chapter 10 Terrell kept an eye on the rearview mirror as they rolled down the country road, the sunset casting a golden glow on the acres of farmland. Well, if I'm reading this correctly, Coleman said as he studied the crudely drawn map, there should be a dirt road coming up on the right here, should be in between the two giant cornfields. He paused, waiting for a reply, and then raised his eyebrow. Cap, did you hear me? Yeah, dirt road on the right. Terrell replied absently, still with his eye on the road. Coleman peered over his shoulder. You seeing something? Pretty sure whoever was hiding outside of town has decided to follow us, the captain replied. What's the play? The corporal asked. Terrell glanced at him. How's your sniping? I finished in the middle of the pack during the last set of drills, Coleman admitted. The captain nodded. That's a step above me. You take the rifle. He motioned to the glove box. The corporal rummaged around, locating a box of ammunition. He opened it and clucked his tongue at the sight of six long bullets. Here's hoping there ain't too many of them, he muttered. Terrell turned down the dirt road and floored it, kicking up a dense cloud of dust as they headed towards the farmhouse. Cornstalks whipped by the windows, bouncing off the side mirrors, jostling the duo as they bounced across the bumpy dirt. They got to a clearing and he slammed on the brakes, a large open area about the size of a football field. Xavier's transport truck was parked underneath a large grain silo to the right. There was a wooden barn that looked old but strong to the left, attached to a large horse stable in the center. As soon as the truck lurched to a stop, the soldiers dove out of their respective doors and sprinted in separate directions. Terrell took the barn and Coleman made a mad dash for the silo, taking the spiral staircase two at a time. Barely a minute later, a pickup truck arrived, 
two in the cab and four in the bed. Coleman crouched behind the half wall at the top of the silo, peeking over and then lifting his radio to his mouth. Hey, Cap, you read me? He asked quietly. We got company. Terrell came back through, hissing but clear. What we got? Coleman peered through the scope, taking in the men milling around the truck, guns at the ready in defensive positions. It's your old buddy Ralph and his merry band of cousin fuckers, the corporal replied. Looks like big boy and the two underlings are working their way towards you. Guess that means I got the other three. Let me know when you're ready to start the fireworks. You got a target? Terrell asked. Coleman took a deep breath and lined up a shot, aiming at one of the boys that walked in front of Ralph. Do it, he breathed, and Terrell leaned out of the barn door to open fire. The center man fell to the ground, peppered with bullets, the other men splitting to dive to either side. Andrew couldn't get behind cover and fired his shotgun wildly at the barn door. Terrell ducked back behind cover, narrowly missing the shot, and staying pressed up against a wooden crate as another shot hit the door. He dove out to fire back, but Andrew slammed into the door, sending the captain tumbling backwards, guns skipping away across the dirt. Terrell leapt back to his feet, immediately rushing the redneck in a perfect form tackle, slamming him down onto his back. Before he could get a punch in, another redneck bustled into the barn, raising his shotgun to fire. The captain dove, but Andrew tripped him, regaining his footing and leaning over him with a sneer. Go help the others, he directed his friend. I'll take care of him. The shotgun-wielding lackey nodded and ran back outside, where his friends were firing up at the silo. Coleman watched the redneck emerge from the barn, panic gripping him at the reasoning behind the enemy coming back out from killing the captain. He took a deep breath to compose himself, focusing on the task at hand. He'd managed to blow up one enemy's head, but his second bullet had gone askew, hitting a tractor tire instead. Three guys and four shots, I got this, he muttered to himself, aiming towards the barn redneck to fire. This forced him back inside, and then the corporal aimed down at Ralph and his lackey, moving out of the way just quick enough to avoid their volley of bullets. As he readied his hunting rifle, he noticed movement in the cornfield and scrambled over to get a closer look from the back of the silo. There were four distinct tracks in the tall plants, rushing towards them about 50 yards out. The cavalry has arrived, he said with a grin, and then headed back to the front of the silo taking quick aim towards Ralph and firing. He struck the tractor, but the attack caused his enemies to stay behind cover. Terrell got to his feet, wiping his hands against each other. You should feel special, he declared. I usually don't give two free lessons to the same person. Andrew yelled and rushed the captain, who countered with a leg kick that caught the large redneck in the left knee. As he fell forward, he latched onto Terrell's leg, flopping him down onto the ground as well. As soon as the captain hit the dirt, he rolled over and brought his elbow around into Andrew's nose, shooting blood up into his airways. As the redneck coughed and sputtered on the ground, Terrell leapt back to his feet, waving at his opponent to get up. Come on, big fella, that ain't all you got, is it? He taunted, bouncing back and forth on the balls of his feet. Andrew staggered up, giving a few sloppy punches that the captain easily dodged. Terrell retaliated, his fist connecting with the redneck's jaw a few times. On the fourth blow, 
Andrew grabbed his wrist and jerked him forward, headbutting him in the face. The stunned soldier staggered backwards, and the redneck went on the offensive, sending a few blows into Terrell's midsection. The captain leapt backwards, wiping blood from his face, and hawked a glob of blood to the dirt. Andrew grinned maniacally through his own bloody face, reaching over to grab a hayhook from a nearby post. I'm not mad, Terrell said playfully. Just disappointed. Andrew sneered. You about to be gutted, boy. The captain's eyes darkened. Lesson over, he snarled, and cracked his neck before blocking Andrew's lunge with the hook. He chopped the redneck in the throat with his free hand, and then dodged the desperate horizontal swing with the hook as Andrew tried to catch his breath. Terrell knuckled him in the face, and the redneck screamed with a backhand swing. The captain caught his arm at the wrist and broke his elbow, catching the hook and delivering an uppercut with it. The hook pierced Andrew's jaw, eliciting a gurgled scream as he fell to his knees in pain. Terrell kicked the redneck's hands away and grabbed the handle of the hook, yanking it as hard as he could. The metal tore through the bottom half of his jaw, blood and teeth bouncing on the packed dirt floor. As his opponent shrieked in shock and pain, the captain swung around and embedded the hook in the side of Andrew's head. The scream ceased as the redneck hit the floor, and Terrell reclaimed his weapon. The last crack of Coleman's rifle drew him to the barn door, and he looked out just in time to see zombies emerge from the cornfield. Two zombies reached the lackey, biting into his neck and thigh as Ralph turned in panic, firing on the others swarming into the farm. Ralph turned and sprinted to the remaining redneck, who fired one more shot before the dull click of an empty chamber alerted him that they were likely fucked. Ralph rushed by his unarmed partner as the zombies that were in hot pursuit quickly closed the gap. He glanced back in time to see the creatures sinking their teeth into the redneck, leaving Ralph all alone. Andrew! Ralph screamed as he tore towards the barn. Andrew! As he breached the barn door, Terrell punched him right in the face, flinging him backwards onto the ground. The captain stepped into the light and aimed his assault rifle at the redneck's head. You might want to throw your handgun away there, Bubba, he warned. The redneck hesitated, glancing with worry at the zombie finishing up with his friend and ambling towards him. Terrell shrugged. They'll get to you before me, he said. Ralph panicked and tossed the gun away, putting up his hands. Help me, he cried. The captain raised his rifle and smacked the zombie in the face. It fell hard and slid against the ground, falling limp with a busted skull. Ralph began to squirm away, but Terrell fired a warning shot that froze him. You stay right there, he warned, and then lifted his radio. Coleman, you good? Yeah, just gotta do some zombie cleanup the corporal replied. He stood about eight steps up the silo stairwell and whistled loudly. The rest of the feasting zombies rushed him, filing up the stairs one by one. Coleman easily dispatched them with his handgun and then hopped to the ground. He walked over to the closest redneck corpse and dispatched each of them to keep them from reanimating. I'm clear, you good? He asked into his radio. Terrell responded, one more by the truck if you don't mind. Coleman laughed. Fine, I'll clean up your mess too. He headed around the tractor to find the other body. 
Terrell cocked his head at the captive and clucked his tongue at the wide-eyed man on the ground. Ralph, 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 he began. Now I could have sworn that you gave me your word this morning that we would go our separate ways for the day. I mean, I have a pretty damn good memory. So you, uh, you want to explain what you're doing here? It wasn't my choice, the redneck stammered, face pale with fear. Terrell shook his head. Man, passing the buck, now that's a damn shame, Ralph. What's a damn shame, Cap? Coleman asked as he approached, firing a shot into the redneck corpse on the way. Our boy Ralph here doesn't want to take responsibility for his actions, Terrell replied. Says he was forced to break his promise to me and come after us. Coleman raised an eyebrow. I guess that begs the question, who's your daddy, Ralph? The leader of our camp, the redneck replied immediately. We came back after our encounter this morning and were ordered to track you down. The orders were to bring back your heads or don't come back at all. Well, hate to break it to you there, Ralph, but you're going back empty-handed because you're going to deliver a message for me, Terrell said. But before that, you're going to have to answer some questions for me. Ralph swallowed hard. Uh, okay, what do you want to know? The captain leaned forward slightly. For starters, how big is your camp? I don't know the redneck replied. There's 200, 250 maybe? The soldiers shared a concerned look, and then Coleman pursed his lips. How many are battle ready, he asked. This is the rural south, Ralph said, voice trembling. Everybody over the age of 12 can shoot. Terrell nodded. Where's the camp? About 20 miles north of Clinton. The redneck waved his hand in the general direction. But I wouldn't recommend trying to find it, our sharpshooters are a lot better than you. Terrell took a deep breath. You got anything else, Coleman? I think this sack of shit has told us every useful thing he knows, the corporal replied. Ralph, old buddy, the captain said, and knelt beside his quivering captive. You're gonna go back to your little camp, walk up to whoever is pulling the strings, and tell them one simple thing. Clinton, North Carolina, is off limits. You guys can have free reign over anywhere else, but you stay away from that town. And oh yeah, make sure everyone knows that if they cross our paths out in the wild, the only thing I want to see from them is a friendly wave. If we see anything else, well, just make sure you explain in vivid detail what took place here. You got all that? Ralph nodded furiously. Yes, sir, I'll let everyone know. Okay, let's get him up, Terrell said, and the soldiers bent over to help the man up. At the same time, the captain slid a small tracking device under the man's collar and patted him on the shoulder as he stood on his feet. The redneck walked towards his truck, constantly glancing back over his shoulder in fear. Wait, wait, Terrell called. I got one more question for you. Ralph turned around sheepishly, fists clenched. Yeah? You got a spare for your truck? The redneck threw his hands up. Yeah, I got one, but there's not a... Terrell cut him off by firing his sidearm at the front driver's side tire. All right, Coleman, let's get their guns and get out of here. Can you handle the big rig? Not a problem, Cap, Coleman replied. Terrell picked up the shotgun and Ralph's handgun as the corporal retrieved the other weapons. Once he'd reached the transport and started it up, the captain hopped into his own truck, rolling down the window and stopping beside the seething redneck. Don't be a stranger now, Ralph, he said with a grin. The redneck scowled. Don't worry, I won't. Terrell simply winked at him and led the big rig down the dirt driveway. 
Chapter 11 Frank sat alone in his makeshift office, looking over a report as steam rose from his much-deserved cup of coffee. His eyes began to cross as he looked over the statistics of how many survivors still needed housing, the security situation. Everything just began to merge into a jumbled mess in his head. He sighed, tossing the report aside, and took a sip of his hot brew. Bill stepped into the doorway and knocked on the frame gently. Captain, is this a good time? Yeah, come on in, Frank replied. Just trying to wrap my head around the report you made up for me. I realize it's a bit dense, the older man admitted. So if you have any questions. I'm sure I will, the captain replied, and took another sip of his coffee. Oh, can I get you a cup? My assistant made a full pot, don't want it to go to waste. Yeah, I suppose I could take a cup, Bill agreed. Frank looked at the phone on his desk and raised an eyebrow at all the buttons. He picked one and pushed it, but nothing happened. I can lead assaults across a zombie-infested city, but an intercom system stumps me. But try the button on the right, Bill said gently. He did so, and there was a beep before a friendly female voice came through. Oh, hi, Captain, I was just about to buzz you. Everything okay, Annie? Frank's brow furrowed. Yes, Captain, she replied. It's John Teeter from D.C. would like to chat. He's on Secure Channel 6. Thanks, Annie, Frank said. Oh, and can you please bring Bill a cup of coffee when you have a moment? Of course, Captain, she replied. Frank stared at the phone for a moment, and then up at Bill. Would you mind? I don't want to hang up on the boss. The older man smiled, reached over, and hit a few buttons in sequence. Hey, John, you there? Hey, Bill, I was trying to reach Captain Kyle. John's voice came through. Frank leaned forward. I'm here too, John. Oh, perfect, John replied. How are you boys getting settled in at the stadium? Better than expected, Bill said, and took a seat across from the captain. We're slightly over capacity, but we're ahead of schedule on the food growing. That's fantastic to hear, came the reply, and then there was a pause. Now, I have a bit of difficult news. As I'm sure you've heard by now, Fort Bragg was completely overrun. Yeah, we rescued Bennett and Foster, and they said as much, Frank put in. Well, after those two made their escape, Captain Graham and Corporal Coleman were able to secure a helicopter and lure the zombie horde away from the base, John explained. This allowed 75 men to get to safety. One of our ships, just off the Wilmington coast, was able to arrange transport for them. Frank stiffened at the mention of his friend. What about Graham and Coleman? Colonel Wagner informed us that they saw their helicopter flying west, but that's the last anyone has heard from them, John said slowly. Frank flopped back in his chair, scrubbing his hands down his face. He took a deep breath. Well, I wouldn't worry, John. Those two are tough sons of bitches, so if anybody's out there surviving this, it's gonna be them. And nonetheless, we are keeping our ears open in case they try to make contact. The man on the phone promised. The captain nodded. I appreciate that. It's the least I can do. So, John, on this last outing, we ran into a bit of a complication, Bill cut in. John made a noise of interest. What's that? There are survivors in the city, Frank replied. The group we ran into was 85 strong, and they aren't the only groups left in the city. I had to strike a deal with them in order to get my people out safely. We're gonna run some missions with them to help make sure they have enough food to get by. Good, good, John said. 
that's what we need to be doing. There's some debate up here about how much we should be doing for the civilians surviving on their own, but in my opinion, we need to keep as many of them alive as we can. A group of us are formulating a plan to deliver supplies to some of these clusters of survivors, but we're a couple weeks out at best from this happening. So my unofficial advice is to do whatever you feel like you can do for them, because the reality is there isn't a fucking thing anybody up here is going to be able to do to you if they disagree with the actions you are taking. They shared a chuckle, and Bill nodded. That is a valid point. Well, I've been known to make them from time to time, John replied. All right, I've got to go deal with more bureaucratic bullshit. If you all need anything, you know where to find me. Thanks, John, Frank replied. Bill nodded. We'll be in touch. Frank ended the call, and Annie entered with a cup of coffee in the pot. Sorry for the delay, she said. I didn't want to interrupt the call. They thanked her as she refilled the captain's cup and then vacated the office. Bill took a long sip and leaned back in his chair. So what's next, Captain? He asked. I need you to do an inventory of our supplies and figure out what we can spare, Frank instructed. And see if you can find some people who know the city well. We need to know every single place we can potentially find food and other vital supplies. Consider it done, Captain, Bill replied. Anything else? Frank considered for a moment before shaking his head. I think that's gonna do it for today. You've done a hell of a job, Captain, Bill said as he stood. You should be proud. Frank nodded as he left, and then picked up the report again with a sigh. It's gonna be a sad day when I'd rather be chased by zombies than deal with paperwork. Chapter 12 Incoming! One of the guards yelled at the sight of two sets of headlights in the distance. There was a loud blare of a transport truck, and a second guard raised his hand. It's the soldiers, let's get them in. There was a flurry of movement as they ran in opposite directions, getting into position to distract the zombies. Terrell and Coleman slowed down to allow the men to do their work, and then easily rolled in as the gates opened for them. Xavier emerged from the canning building, firelight dancing on his smile as the soldiers dismounted from the vehicles inside. As promised, the corporal said with a flourish, one giant-ass truck full of veggies. Terrell motioned to the pickup truck, and a few more firearms. Weapons? Xavier's brow furrowed. Did you run into trouble? Yeah, our friends from this morning decided to pay us a visit, the captain explained. But don't worry, most of them won't be bothering us again. The older man crossed his arms. Most of them? They were intent on finishing what they started this morning, and we took personal offense to that, Coleman said. Terrell nodded. We left a messenger alive to let them know that this town was off limits, he explained. It remains to be seen if they follow that demand, but at the very least it should buy you all some time to fortify your positions. Gentlemen, Xavier said with a deep sigh, I cannot possibly thank you enough for what you have done. Your actions have given people here a sense of hope, Coleman smiled. Glad we could help. Now to be clear, the older man continued, my offer of transport and supplies still stands if you wish to move on. However, I would like to personally extend an invitation for you to join our community. I fear as though the aggressors won't stay away for long. And even with the additional firepower, I don't see us being able to mount much of a defense if they come in force. To put it bluntly, gentlemen, Having you as a part of our town will give the people here a real chance at survival. 
The soldiers glanced at each other. Cap, I'm going wherever you're going, Coleman said with a shrug. You make the call. Terrell took in the community. He knew deep down that if they left, the people of this town would be gone in a matter of days. Coleman and I are in charge of the defenses, he said. We lead the raids, we make final approval of anyone who goes with us or tries to join the town. If you're okay with that, we're on board. Xavier nodded with a smile. Gentlemen, welcome to your new home. End of Book Three Frank Terrell and the Gang Will Return Coming up next in Volume Four of Dead America the First Week, the action shifts to North Dakota, where 50 cowboys take on 50,000 zombies in Operation Bismarck. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.